break 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 you are now listening to breakthrough news You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back with you here on June 3rd, 2021, here on The Punch-Out. Very happy to be with you. Plenty for you here on the show as we always do. We're going to talk about the Sackler family skating and the opioid lawsuit that has been plaguing them, really actually hundreds of lawsuits that have been plaguing them. We're going to talk about the struggle in Sheikh Jarrah continuing in Palestine. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to start with the CDC eviction moratorium, which is set to expire at the end of this month. Well, the good news is, on Wednesday, the Federal Appeals Court upheld the Centers for Disease Control moratorium on evictions in a months-long legal proceeding brought by a group of landlords in Alabama. The bad news is that the eviction moratorium will expire on June 30th, a move that could threaten 11 million tenants with eviction. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is hearing an appeal to a case initially won by landlords uh, saying that the moratorium was illegal. The Circuit Court of Appeals denied their attempt to have the moratorium lifted pending the outcome of the appeal to the lower court case. And the court in its ruling stated that the federal government is likely to win the appeal, which is in favor of the moratorium. So while this wasn't a final ruling, it was a clear signal that the courts seemingly will uphold the legality of the actions by the CDC. All that being said, the moratorium will expire again on June 30th, and it isn't all that clear, really, if the CDC will renew it, although they could. And that sets the stage for mass evictions. Only two states, Minnesota and Washington, afford renters strong pandemic-related protections, defined as freezing the eviction process in most or all cases. 39 states have few, if any, protections. And that's all according to Eviction Lab, which is tracking evictions during the pandemic in partnership with Princeton University. The Center for Budget and Policy Priorities notes that, quote, an estimated 10.9 million adults living in rental housing, 15% of adult renters, were not caught up on rent. They also detail that 19% of those living with children are not caught up on rent. Some estimates say that the amount of back rent owed by U.S. renters is $70 billion. There are also wide regional disparities. For instance, in Florida and South Carolina, one in four renters are behind on rent. In Kentucky, only 6% are. There are a few reasons for this, of course. Some states just have many more renters, so of course the problem is going to be concentrated more there. But the same thing goes for other factors. Now, logically, of course, the lower your income is, the more likely you are to be behind on rent. For instance, uh, the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, which was looking at survey data from the Census Bureau, noted that 20% of those who responded who were making less than $35,000 are behind on rent. That was compared to 6%, making $75,000 or more. 
And one thing that's just an aside here, but an interesting piece, according to a study from 2019, about 50% of all workers in America, 86 million people, make $35,000 or less. But, uh, you know, that just gives you a sense of the size and the scale here of poverty in this country. But of course, all these numbers give you a sense of the size and the scale of this true eviction tsunami that could be at play here. Again, almost 11 million people, and that could be an undercount, at risk of eviction on June 30th, really July 1st, if this moratorium is not renewed. And there are also other factors where that speak to how this issue may be concentrated in certain communities. 29% of black renters said they were behind on rent as compared to 8% of white renters. So again, places with concentrations of low-wage workers in general are going to be hit very hard. Areas with concentrations of low-wage workers of color will also be hit particularly hard. So while this will, of course, hit people all across the country and every community in a general sense, given what we know about the concentrations of poverty in this country, it's really just going to be whole communities that will be drowned in a sea of eviction notices if this goes forward. In December and March, Congress appropriated $46.5 billion in rental assistance, which in many ways is in anticipation of the ban being lifted. The problem here is multifold. One, a lot of that money is not out of the door. Two, it isn't that easy to apply for it anyways. Three, it may understate the need overall. And four, it is guaranteed to understate the need in places that need the assistance the most. As one of the eviction lab Princeton researchers recently noted in a New York Times op-ed, quote, Congress allocated assistance on the basis of state population without taking into account differences in the number of renter households, variation in the cost of rent, or the extent of pandemic-related hardship. They further explained that, quote, the legislation also mandated a minimum payment to smaller states. The result is that far more assistance will be available to renters in smaller rural states than in larger urban states, those that in many cases were the hardest hit by the pandemic. If you were to divide the maximum aid allocated to the states by the number of occupied rental units, each renter household in New York would get $766 compared to $5,167 in Wyoming. Based on median rent data from the American Community Survey, that would cover roughly half a month's rent in New York, but six months in Wyoming. So as you can see, all the ingredients are there for a huge wave of evictions to start rippling across the country coming on July 1st. The moratorium isn't perfect, but evictions are down 54% on a normal year. So clearly it's a key tool to keep people from being thrown out on the street. Now, it is possible the CDC could renew the moratorium. Theoretically, Congress could pass a law mandating a moratorium. But it seems that either way, for those who believe housing is a human right, it's going to be something that will have to be fought for. Sheikh Jarrah, the East Jerusalem neighborhood that has become central to the struggle against Israeli apartheid, continues to be a flashpoint of resistance and has been placed under a tight siege by Israeli police and settlers. Just this morning, in fact, a 14-year-old Palestinian was arrested for nothing in a continuation of what's become a regular practice of police harassment of Sheikh Jarrah's Palestinian residents designed to facilitate the process of forced removal, which is also proceeding through the Israeli courts. And this comes after officials from the United Nations Relief and Work Agency, UNRWA, came to Sheikh Jarrah this week and declared that the attempt to remove the Palestinian residents was, quote, in violation of international law and Israel's obligation as an occupying power, end quote. 
And the head of uh, of the UNRWA delegation told reporters, quote, I saw one home which Israeli settlers have already taken over half of the house. The house is actually divided in two, a Palestinian family and a settler family. It is surreal, end quote. And despite the delay of the implementation of an Israeli court verdict that the residents must leave or be removed for August 1st, settlers with the connivance of the police are intensifying their campaign of harassment. Israeli police have placed checkpoints all around Sheikh Jarrah and barred Palestinians and supporters from holding demonstrations in support of the families, all while allowing groups of armed settlers to roam around the area and harass and attempt to provoke Palestinians. They are clearly trying to force the issue here, regardless of what the courts say, to try to make it unbearable to live there. Now, all that being said, of course, residents of Sheikh Jarrah continue to be defiant. There are solidarity rallies continuing to be held around the world. There are many rumors that Israel is facing pressure from the U.S. and Europe to pull back on the Sheikh Jarrah issue to try to calm the Palestinian resistance, which continues to confront apartheid forces in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem with popular resistance every day. The Israeli government denies that they're negotiating over this, but nevertheless, the rising tide of resistance in Palestine and around the world that has very much centered on discussions of Sheikh Jarrah has obviously uh, created an international situation there for the Israeli government. Undoubtedly, the Israelis are just hoping that the world turns its eyes away then from Palestine so that they can just carry on after weathering the storm of international outrage. Whether that happens or not is, of course, well, as much up to you as anyone else. After more than a year of negotiations, a federal judge is moving forward a controversial settlement to the or in the Purdue Pharma bankruptcy case, giving essentially total immunity to the billionaire Sackler family who controls the company behind the opioid epidemic. As National Public Radio reports, quote, according to legal documents filed as a part of the case, that immunity would extend to dozens of family members, more than 160 financial trusts, and at least 170 companies, consultants, and other entities associated with the Sacklers, end quote. In exchange, the Sacklers will pay $4.2 billion and remain one of the wealthiest families on earth. A massive investigation into the family's involvement in the Purdue Pharma business and the use of Oxycontin therein will also never be made public. Never be made public as a part of the deal. They will, however, give up control of Purdue Pharma, but maintain all their other businesses. Over the next few weeks, more than 600,000 individuals, companies, and governments with claims against Purdue Pharma will vote on the deal. If they approve it, it will likely mean that the 20 states involved in the lawsuit that said they were against the deal will not be able to sue the Sacklers directly for their involvement and could make further prosecutions of Purdue itself more difficult. The Sacklers, of course, say this is all fair, but point blank, uh, it isn't. And their representative, or the representations, I should say, about having done nothing wrong are absolutely absurd. The Sacklers just settled for $225 million, a criminal case with the Department of Justice regarding their involvement in this whole affair. Now, the DOJ absurdly allowed them to admit no wrongdoing, but I mean, the facts speak for themselves. You only settle because you think you might lose. And the evidence seems to have been pretty strong against them. The DOJ statement lays out how, as NPR summarizes, quote, some family members engaged in fraudulent transfers of wealth and approved a marketing plan that focused on pushing Oxycontin sales to extreme high-volume prescribers. According to the Justice Department statement, that program led to, quote, healthcare providers to prescribe opioids for uses that were unsafe, 
ineffective and medically unnecessary and that often led to abuse and diversion, end quote. In other words, they were getting super rich off Oxycontin blowing up and they used their influence as the owners of the company to push for policies that maximize that profit no matter the human cost. It's America for you. Sell a dime bag of heroin on a street corner, you can go to jail. Maybe even go to prison for decades, depending. But if you run one of the world's largest opioid pushers, you get off with just a slap on the wrist fine. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 